Do you see temptation for what it really is, or has the enemy altered your way of thinking? Find out now on Bold Steps with Mark Job. The enemy comes and he lures us, but it says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill. He kills our dreams. He he kills our spiritual life and to destroy everything around us. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. That's what he's calling us to. Welcome to Bold Steps with Dr. Mark Job. Mark is president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Mark, today you're going to continue this brand new study. We just started it yesterday in the book of James, and today part two of a message all about temptation. Yeah, and so, so many times we don't really think through how temptation works, but we all struggle with it. Mm-hmm. And so this first chapter of James really diagnoses, breaks apart temptation. And in essence, it tells us that our internal desire pulls us. Our desire then entices us. Desire gives birth to sin. Sin gains strength and control over our life. And then ultimately, it starts to kill our life as well. That's the progression, isn't it? Exactly. Well, let's get into the message now. Again, this is day two of our new series in the book of James chapter 1. This is the cycle of how sin can get a hold of our life and really get a grip on our life and control our life. First of all, it starts with our internal desire. Notice he says, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire. Now let me say this, desires are not bad. But when we try to meet legitimate desires in illegitimate ways, then it becomes an evil desire or a sinful desire. Do you understand that? Someone says, all I want is to be happy. Is there anything wrong with that? No. All I want is to be happy. Now, if to get happy, you're popping mollies, then there's a problem. Because you're going about it the wrong way. All I want is to feel loved. Is there anything wrong with that? No, that's a legitimate God-given desire. All I want to be loved. The problem is you're a married man and you don't feel loved by your wife. And so you're looking for love outside of your marriage and pursuing another relationship. Then that legitimate desire you're trying to fulfill in an illegitimate way. And now it becomes an evil desire. The desire itself is not bad, but the way you're choosing to meet that desire is bad. And that's how it becomes sinful. So God gives you desires. Desires are a good thing. There's nothing wrong with desires. But when we go, when we try to fulfill our desires in the wrong way, illegitimate ways, then it leads us down a track that's different and far from God. I was just speaking to the singles or the young adult crossover ministry about dating. And we talked a little bit about this. For example, uh, sexual desire. There's nothing wrong with sexual desire. In fact, sexual desire is great. It's good. God created you as a sexual being. He made Adam and Eve so they would be attracted physically and emotionally to one another. That's God's creation, not a devil's creation. 
Sexual desire and the sexual drive is a great thing given by God, good thing, and the church should celebrate good sex. It's kind of quiet in here, like, I don't know if I should I say amen? Is, are you tricking me, pastor, somehow? Or should I really say this? And here's the thing. But it should be celebrated with the, with, within the context of a monogamous relationship called marriage in which two people make a covenant to one another and fully enjoy the sexual satisfaction that's given within marriage. In fact, I believe that Christians should have the best, best sex around because it's in the context of how God designed it. I was selling the crossover. I want to get a t-shirt that says, say, Christians do it better. But my wife... But my wife wouldn't let me wear it, so I, I just, I haven't gotten a t-shirt like that. Is there anything wrong with sexual desire? No, there's nothing wrong. It's good. It should be celebrated. It's when we go outside of God's God-ordained um, way of meeting that legitimate desire that it becomes a problem. When someone decides to meet that desire in an illegitimate way, in other words, outside of marriage, before marriage, or in marriage with someone else, then it becomes illegitimate, and it leads to a lot of consequences. It leads to pregnancies where some kid's being raised without a father that's around. It leads to venereal diseases. It leads to using people. It leads to one-night stands in which there's little commitment, but just pursuing and seeking pleasure. It leads to a distortion of how God intended the sexual desire to be fulfilled within a committed relationship where two people are loving one another long term and committed to one another in, in a monogamous relationship where they made vows before God that until death do us part we'll be together. That's God's design for it. And so what James is saying is that our temptation starts when we have desires, but we're trying to meet those desires outside of the plan that God has given us. And when we try to meet those desires outside of the plan that God has given us, the Bible refers to them as evil desires. So he says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away. Dragged away from what? Dragged away from God's plan. Dragged away from the truth. Dragged away from what scripture says is the way it should be done. By the way, if you want a definition for sin, someone says, well, what's sin? Well, the, the word sin means literally missing the target. It's almost though as, as God has a target and in the center of the target, it means obedience. When we hit on other places outside of the center of the target, it's called sin. In other words, we're not hitting in the center of where God wants us to live. And so when we, when we miss the target because we're pursuing our own pleasures, doing it our own way, then what, what it tells us is this is what happens is our own evil desires, we're dragged away from God's plan or God's truth, we're lured into a different way of doing things, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Missing the target, a plan away from God's plan. And then sin grows up, and as sin grows stronger and stronger, then sin, it says when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It's talking about spiritual death. 
then your life becomes controlled not by the spirit, but your life can, becomes controlled by the sinful nature. And you find yourself a slave to that which you don't want to be. You find yourself doing what you don't want to do. You find yourself living in a way you don't want to live because sin has overcome you. That's what scripture says. Now, I want to be clear about this because I believe that Satan has a strategy and the strategy is he tempts us by thinking that our own way is better than God's way. That's the lie. And, and it's always deceptive. No one ever gets into sin to have sin control you. You get in it because you want to feel good for the moment. And it feels like it's the easiest way to go. I've had guys live in my home and I've dealt with people that were ravaged by heroin addiction. Their teeth are falling out. They've lived under bridges. Their veins have collapsed in their arm and so they have to inject in their neck. Their families have thrown them aside. They burnt every bridge around them because no one can trust them because they rob and steal and sell things. They're HIV positive, some of them, because they've, they, they've used needles that they shouldn't use. Their, their physical health is deteriorating and they're going down, rejected by society, alone, driven and mastered by this thing that we call a drug, this thing that we call heroin. Do you think that when they first took their first high of heroin, that they wanted to end up under a bridge thrown out? Uh, a slave to heroin? No, no. All they were looking for is, I just want to feel good. So my first high is just the pursuit of pleasure. I feel a little sad. I feel a little empty. I'm around my friends. It makes me feel good. And what sin does is sin says, I'll, I'll make you feel good. And you say, it does feel good. And does it feel good? Oh, yeah, for the moment. And maybe the second time. And third. And for a while. But before you know it, it grows stronger and stronger. No one goes in saying, I want to be a slave to it. You go in simply saying, I want to feel better. I have the right to feel better. I'm stressed out at work. This calms me down a little bit. I just want to feel good. And you end up being a slave. It's like that controlling, abusive boyfriend that when you're dating in the beginning seems so nice. He's bringing flowers and writing cards. Seems like he wants to know all your business. And you, you feel, oh, he puts so much attention on me. Oh, he's just, he's just such a gentleman. He seems to want to know all my friends and protect me so much. But what you don't know is he's a control freak and an abusive boyfriend. But in the beginning, it seems good that he's smothering you. After a while, you start realizing he doesn't want me to hang out with any friends. It seems like he's, in, in the beginning, you think, well, he's just protecting me from people. But you realize he's protecting you from everybody, cutting off all your relationships. Now you're under his control. You're dependent on him. Now he's telling you what to wear, how to think, what to do, managing your, managing your schedule, calling you names, doing everything, and you find yourself, uh-oh, now I'm controlled by him, have his baby, he's abusive, five years into it, like, I'm living with a maniac. 
How did this happen? Well, you started way over there thinking it felt good. He lured you into it until he could control you. That's the way that sin is. It lures us in in the beginning and it feels like, yeah, this is going to be great. But ultimately, it controls us. If we really knew the effects of sin on our life and what we're up against, we would walk away a long time ago because God's way is always better. Well, we've reached the midpoint of today's Bold Steps message with Mark Job, and we want to take just a moment to say thank you to our listeners and to encourage you to reach out and let us know what's on your heart. We love getting your emails and letters and questions. We occasionally get time on the program to share some of those. And to do that right now, Mark, I've got a question that comes from Anna Marie, who's listening in Ocala, Florida. She asks, did Jesus drink wine? She's been looking at this question online and wondered what you would have to say about it. Yeah, thanks, Anna Marie, for asking that question. You know, there's been a lot of controversy, obviously, around uh, alcohol drinking and wine, and there's uh, various believers that have different convictions about it. But as we look at Jesus and ask, did he drink wine? His first miracle in John chapter 2 is he turned the water into wine. Mm -hmm. And then obviously at the what we call the Passover, the Lord's Supper, all Jewish people drank wine. And um, so Jesus, yes, Jesus drunk wine, and uh, every Jewish person really of the day would drink wine. Um, and I don't think that uh, the issue is, uh, it, is it wrong to drink wine? The bigger issue is how much wine you drink. And so I would put a caution there and say that uh, the Bible does talk clearly about uh, not overindulging in wine, not drinking too much wine, definitely about drunkenness. And so although there's nothing in Scripture that tells you not to drink wine, there's a lot of um, encouragement and exhortation not to overindulge in any kind of alcohol beverage at all. Thank you for that answer. And by the way, let me take this opportunity to say we do love getting questions from listeners, but also we have a resource called BibleToLife.com that can be very helpful. Yeah, this is fairly new. It's just started this last year, and we're trying to help answer questions that people have, both Christian and non-Christian, around the country. And so I would love our listeners to check it out. It's called Bible to Life. That's all one word, BibleToLife.com. And there's a whole bunch of questions that people have asked and are promoted there. And the great thing about this site is that you can trust it because well, it's from Moody. I was going to say, it's a resource from Moody Bible Institute. Absolutely. So if you get a chance, check it out, BibleToLife.com. All right, let's get back to our message now today here on Bold Steps. Mark Job comes back with the message about the trap of temptation. I heard of a principal in a junior high school that they were having problems in the girls' bathroom because the girls had gotten into this thing where they'd put lipstick on and they would kiss the mirror. And so every day, the janitor had to come in and try to clean all this lipstick off the mirror. And they thought it was cute and they would laugh. And so the principal brought, the, the principal and the janitor came up with a plan. So they brought all the junior high girls into the girls' bathroom and they said, look, 
this is a lot of work to try to clean up this lipstick and they're all giggling and looking at each other like oh and you got to stop this he said because it's a lot of work look what he has to do every day and so the janitor said this is what I have to do every day and so he took his squeegee and he put it in the toilet dumped it around he said every day I got to do this you know clean this clean this every day like this from that day on they never had a problem with the girls kissing the mirror because they were like whoa is that what we're kissing You see, if you just knew what you were kissing when you're kissing up the sin, really doing it God's way, the garbage and the dirt that's there, you would walk away and say, no way, I don't want that. But we're lured into thinking that it's better than what it really is. And so that's exactly what James is telling us is that sin starts to grow. And when sin gets momentum, it's hard to stop. How many of you know that? How many of you know that once it has momentum, it's like a car that starts you take off the emergency brake and in the beginning you can kind of hold it up there but when it gets momentum try to try to stop it and it's going to run you over sin is like that it gets momentum in your life the greater the momentum it gets the harder it is to stop and some of you are flowing in a lot of momentum and you cannot stop them you feel like I can't stop the momentum that it's having in my life even though I'm trying and that's what scripture says and it gives birth to spiritual death in other words it crushes your spirit it takes away the life of God it begins to control you instead of living by God's law or God's purpose you start living by sins slavery and then he closes with this, number three. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So number three is this. Not only do we have to understand the problem of sin, we have to understand the process of sin, but we also have to understand God's protection or plan. You know, John 10.10 is one of my favorite verses. And this is what it says. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. This is Jesus. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I love that verse. You see, sometimes you can look at God's way and say, well, it's hard. This is hard to be a Christian. You know how many 20-some years old I've talked to that say, you know what, I'm not ready to become a Christian yet because it's going to cramp my style. I mean, there's so many do's and don'ts. Like, I'm when I'm... 40 years old and have two kids, I'm settled down and I'm married, I think then I'll become a Christian because it will be easier, but right now I have too much life to live. I have too much partying to be done. And, and Christianity, all the rules are just gonna like, they're a straitjacket and they're not gonna really let me live. And so I'm not ready to become a Christian yet. Can I tell you it's actually the opposite? You see, God's way is harder, but God's way leads to freedom, life, and joy. It's harder. Oh, yeah. Is it harder? Yeah, it's harder. But in the end, it leads to freedom. The enemy comes, 
And he lures us. Come on. Yeah, this is a better way. It's going to be happy. He lures us into it. But it says that the enemy comes to steal. He steals our joy, steals our destiny. To kill, he kills our dreams. He he kills our spiritual life. And to destroy everything around him. That's the ultimate goal of the enemy. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. That you're really going to live. And not just live, but I have come that you may live and have life to full abundance. I want you to experience joy and energy and purpose and forgiveness and what it means to live in God and what it means to have healthy relationships and what it means to experience the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. I want you to experience that kind of life. That's what he's calling us to. Do not be deceived, James says. Don't be deceived into thinking. And, and you see, every temptation that we fall into is really because of deception. We somehow think that our way is better than God's way. We somehow think that we'll be happier if we choose our way, even though we know God's way is different. We're lured into thinking that our way is better than God's way. Some of you know that I was raised in a small village in northern Spain called Rubena, 200 people, unpaved streets, and my telephone number was eight. Cheers, eight. It was a small village. And so when you're in a small village, you do small village things. So my friend taught me how to fish with a fishing pole for frogs. I told you, it's a small village thing. And so what he would do is he would get a fishing pole and he would find a bright colored flower, usually a red flower, and he would put the red flower on the end of the hook of a fishing pole. We'd go down to the pond where all the frogs are croaking and these were big frogs in a pond. And we would stand on the side and he would throw out the fishing line and hang it over the pond. Just let it hang over the pond. And within a short amount of time, one of these big frogs would throw out their long tongues and it, they would wrap around, they, they got long tongues, these frogs, because they, they can catch flies and insects, throw around their tongue because the frog is thinking, here's a nice juicy butterfly that I'm having as an appetizer. But what the frog didn't understand is it's just a flower that looks like a butterfly, but there's a hook on it. And the frog would swallow, would swallow the hook, and then my friend would just reel the frog out, kind of, kind of reel them out, and we would have a frog. You would say, well, why did you do that? Well, then we would take the frogs that we caught, and we would take it to my friend's mother, and she would cook them, and we would eat frog's legs. Go ahead, say, ugh. But the point of this story is that, that the frog thought, aha, I'm getting a juicy butterfly for a meal, but instead it was getting a hook that would lead to their death. What James is telling us is the same thing. Don't be deceived by the hook that looks good, but really is going to lead you to death.
You're listening to the Bible teaching of Mark Job on Bold Steps in the second segment of a three-part message titled, The Temptation Trap. We'll return with the final part of this lesson on tomorrow's program, but before then, be sure to catch up on anything you may have missed by visiting our website at boldstepsradio.org. And by the way, while you're online, you'll also want to request a copy of our latest Bold Step gift. It's a resource that also deals with the subject of breaking free from the enemy's traps. And to tell us more about it, here's Mark Job. There's nothing worse than feeling trapped. Sometimes it's caused by hang-ups from our past or the fear of failure, could be a dead-end job or bouts with depression. Truth is, we all have times when we end up in caves, dark places of discouragement and disillusionment that keep us from seeing the light of day. But we certainly don't have to stay there. In my book, Unstuck, I explore seven key steps that will help you walk out of the dark caves of life and into the place that God is calling you. The place and the process for each of our callings is completely unique, but I believe that there are some crucial universal principles that we all need to follow to get where we need to go. So discover how to break out from wherever you are today by requesting a copy of Unstuck, We'll send it to you with a gift of any amount to support the ministry of Bold Steps. Thank you, Mark. To send your financial gift, visit boldstepsradio.org. Or it may be easier to just call us at 844-615-7363. We'd love to hear from you. 844-615-7363. You can also request your copy of Unstuck and give your financial gift through the mail by addressing your envelope to Bold Steps, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. Once again, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. I'm Wayne Shepherd closing out today's program, but be sure to join us tomorrow for the liberating conclusion of this message titled, The Temptation Trap. It's coming up Friday on Bold Steps with Mark Joe. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.